Hello, gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Welcome to episode number 31, Water in the Organic Garden. Or it could be water in the organic garden, but I like water in the organic garden. We all need water. Or as when I was a little kid and I was going to school in New Jersey, water. But I got over that, okay? Moved out to California, got that surfer dictation going. So water is the life force that sustains us. Nothing is more refreshing or invigorating than a splash in a cold pond, a nice shower after a hard day, or a big glass of water after a long walk. It's the same for plants. They love a nice, natural soaking from a spring storm or to be watered early in the day before the summer heat comes on. They even like a good hosing off to get rid of pests and sooty mold. Plants are a lot like us. It's funny to me after all these years of gardening to hear the questions in my classes about the problems that people are having with their plants and the questions that they ask about all the types of deficiencies and tales of horrible growing conditions. They always think that there is some big mystery at work here. Sometimes there is, but nine times out of ten, the culprit is water. Nothing kills plants faster than overwatering or underwatering them. The old yellow leaf, the burnt leaf tip, and the shrivel are all signs that any gardener has ever seen. The tale of plants that we've killed or almost killed as we learned how to garden is usually long and sad for the plants and humorous for us, if we're honest enough. And although watering faux pas are embarrassing, They are a necessary part of the gardening learning curve. Have you ever wondered how plants get water? We know that either it rains or we water them with a hose or irrigation. But what I mean is how they actually draw the water into them. I'm sure a lot of you know, but for those of you who don't, it's through capillary action. It's what helps bring water up into the roots And with the help of adhesion and cohesion, water works its way all the way up to the branches and leaves. But as you know, I don't really care about your plants. I care about the microbes. How do they get water? Do they need water? What happens to them if we overwater or underwater? That and more coming up.
Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden podcast. The first thing that I do when I begin at a new client's food garden who has raised beds is I tear out their drip irrigation system. The microbes in the soil need water and the drip irrigation only waters a small surface area. When the microbes have proper watering, they will reach more roots down below and that will create vigorous plants and you'll have less pests and diseases in the garden. Hand watering the entire surface with a showering wand is the best form as it mimics the rain. But all this still will do nothing unless the soil in the beds is alive and has full active microbes. So the second thing I do is remove the soil that's normally full of the usual faux organic suspects and I fill the bed with Baby Boo's potting soil from Malibu Compost. It's farm-made, organic, and non-GMO and has everything in it that you need to get your edible garden going, including 25% of Boo's blend compost in it. It also holds moisture so you won't need to water as often. Go to MalibuCompost.com for your Baby Booze potting soil or to find a store close by that carries it. organic gardener, I also became a biological gardener. Back when I metamorphosized and made that transition from gardener to organic gardener to true organic gardener is when the relationship between water and I really became even more important. See, you didn't know you could actually have a relationship with water, but you can. As a biological gardener, what I am really doing is growing microbes in my garden. My plants really play second fiddle to everything beneath the surface. I mean, don't get me wrong. I baby stuff and I go out there and go, oh, wow, look at that. But in reality, I know why I'm going, oh, wow, look at that. You might think how sad for the plants. But the truth is that after years of gardening this way without all the junk and the phony protocols that I learned as a traditional or conventional gardener and landscaper, my plants have never been happier. No plant shrinks needed for my garden. So how did we even get to the point as gardeners that we could overwater or underwater? How have we even gotten water to our crops and plants to be able to kill them. I'm just kidding, water them. The earliest irrigation systems began in 6000 BC in Egypt. The Nile would flood over every year and they would divert the water to the fields for farmers to be able to grow crops in areas they normally couldn't. 
in 31 BC. They constructed over 12 miles of dams and canals for irrigation. 31 BC, gang. Damn. (laughs) Terrace irrigation was used all over the world, including China and India, but especially in the Americas. In the Zana Valley in Peru, remains of irrigation canals dating back to 4000 BC still exist. Irrigation in Sri Lanka dates back to about 300 BC. They had a complex system of underground canals. It was the first place ever that artificial reservoirs were used for storing water. That was an incredible engineering feat for the time. Some of those reservoirs still exist today. In North America, in Arizona and New Mexico, the Native Americans built canals in the early centuries of the first millennium. And in Mexico, they constructed storage dams out of blocks joined together and canals controlled water flow in 600 BC. The Romans, of course, they're not going to be left out of this. They also used irrigation in Britain as early as 2,000 years ago. An irrigation system was discovered in Cambridge. I mean, Cambridge. That may have been used for growing grapes and asparagus. The Romans used dams and reservoirs for irrigation, and they then distributed the water via channels. They also constructed grand aqueducts to transport water, not just for farming, but for baths and homes. These ancient lessons are really important to the modern applications of rainwater harvesting, earthworks, and many of the other protocols that we use in the practical permaculture that we practice. But that is an episode for another time. Irrigation has come a long way since it was first invented thousands of years ago. Even since I got into gardening, which wasn't thousands of years ago, but it was a while ago. I remember when we first saw Netafim drip come here from Israel. Modern irrigation systems are very advanced and there seems to be a pipe or a fitting for every type of application imaginable. All of these choices in today of what we call localized irrigation, basically that just means you're getting water distributed under pressure to an exact location via drip or a sprinkler system. These systems are supposed to allow greater accuracy and control over how we water, but it still doesn't mean that they can't overwater. You ever been walking down the street and see sprinklers spraying the street or the sidewalk or the gutter or on full blast in a rainstorm? Modern irrigation systems are not foolproof or foolproof or foulproof. Sub-irrigation is also widely used around the world today. To sub-irrigate, we artificially raise the level of the water table below the ground. What this does is it moistens the soil from below, and rather than applying the soil on the surface above, we go ahead and apply it from below. We use a version of this type at our house. It's called the SIP system or a sub-irrigated planter from Earthbox. They work really well with certain types of vegetables that we grow, and they're portable, which makes them pretty cool. You can move them around to the sun. You can move them around to where things drain. It's an interesting system. You may wonder, just like me, where does all this water come from that we use to irrigate everything every day? We've got golf courses now in the desert. We've got greenhouses on every imaginable spot on earth, and every single neighborhood in this country has parks, 
ball fields, home gardens, community gardens, plus a ton of highway, roads, and landscapes that are irrigated. How do we get all this water? A lot of the water comes to us from groundwater. In the United States, we use 82.3 billion gallons per day of fresh groundwater for public supply, private supply, irrigation, farming, manufacturing, mining, thermoelectric power, and other purposes. Where I live in California, we pump 17.4 billion gallons per day of groundwater for all purposes. That's two and a half times as much as the second ranked state, which is Texas. Groundwater is tapped through wells placed in water-bearing soils and rocks beneath the surface of the earth. I bring this up because we're in the middle of a crisis and water is at the heart of agriculture. Without water, crops cannot survive. The water for ag that we used is sourced from surface waters like rivers and lakes and streams and ponds or from groundwater, which is in our aquifer. You've heard me talk about the aquifer a lot on this show. States are able to allocate the water in their state and they have their own regulatory systems that allocate both surface water and groundwater. And they have very little federal intervention. But today we're seeing how state governments can really, in some ways, be even more dominating than the federal government. I don't think that we run the risk of not having water here in America today, but I think that we should be aware that we are using a lot more water today than we realize. With millions of people stuck in their homes, we're using water at a higher rate than ever before. These stay-at-home orders from the states have residents washing their hands, clothes, dishes, and other essentials at a much higher rate to keep COVID-19 away. It's what they've been told to do and what I guess for now we must do. Everyone needs an abundance of water to clean and protect themselves. I hope that the governors in charge of this whole mess are staying on top of this because if not, it could be a big problem. Over the years, I've seen people mulch their properties with up to six inches of wood chips in order to save water and cover up their drip tubing throughout the landscape. But do you know what saves water more than anything else? Composting. Composting with good aerobic, microbially active organic compost, like Malibu compost, booze blend compost. It's farm-made and non-GMO, and if you add one inch of compost throughout your garden three times in the first year 
and then in the spring and fall every year thereafter you will see the water going down into the soil on your property as you water rather than running off your property into the street and drains go to malibucompost.com to get your booze blend compost or to find a store close by that carries it every year thereafter you'll be watering less and less As the temps hit the 90s in Southern California this past week, I was reminded of just how quickly moisture evaporates in the heat. For microbial life in the soil to thrive and do their job for us, well, for your plants, they need to have the proper moisture in the soil for them to survive and to mineralize the nutrients from the organic matter in the soil. If the soil dries out, the microbes slow down and ultimately, some of them will be killed off, just as any living creature will be without water. So a couple of really good rules of thumb are, one, check your irrigation. Most of the time, either we or the installer did it wrong. <laughs> Have the wrong heads, the wrong sprays, too much time on, too little time, or are simply asking something of that system that it was not intended. You know, I've seen pipe. I love botch irrigation jobs. I can talk about botch irrigation. There should be a company called Botch Irrigation. But I've seen them where like, you know, you have pipe running up a hill that's almost at a 90 degree angle to get to when you've already got 14 valves and on the 14th valve, you're also going to add, well, you've got the roses and you've got the, oh, let's do the, we'll do the, the little berries over here. And then we're going to run it up to the orchard up on top of the hill. Well, yo, how do you think the water's going to get up there without a pressure regulator? So irrigation installation is critical. It's not something, and also too, I can tell you this from experience, never underestimate irrigation. If you think you need two valves, get a four valve system or get a system where you can add on six valves, eight valves so that you can add the timer on there too. In my landscaping life, I have seen more botched irrigation jobs when we've come on to a project and gone, wow. And they charged you how much for that? Number two, the overuse in recent times of drip irrigation has caused more underwatering of plants and soil than any other issue that I have seen in modern irrigation. 
I know it was the cool thing to do. We got trip. We're saving the planet. We're doing this, you know, this whole deal. But hey, guys, soil needs to be moist. And when you have a little emitter just stuck next to a plant and it's giving like four or five little driplets out there, you are stressing out your garden. And more importantly, you're stressing out my microbes. Okay? So don't overuse drip. And just because people go like, oh, yes, I use drip irrigation. That sometimes isn't all it's cracked up to be, okay? In other uses, it's perfect. There are times when using drip is absolutely the right call, but there are other times where it is absolutely not the right call. And number three, and this is my favorite, the underuse and appreciation of hand watering. There is nothing better than actually controlling the flow and the type of release that we are administering to the garden. I love to hand water with my old-fashioned dram. You know, the real old metal one, the one that looks like that your grandfather had? Yeah, that one. That watering wand on a shower setting is incredible. It allows me to completely control how much water and where I am applying it. That's what's key. I don't have to spray my leaves. I don't have to create a situation that I don't want to create. I can put the water where it needs to go and exactly how much needs to be there. It keeps that water off the delicate leaves, which helps stop leaf burn. It helps uh, keep moisture and humidity off of plants that are susceptible to powdery mildew. That's a big one. A lot of times I'll go to gardens and I see where there's been spray everywhere or the lawn's been spraying on everything and you see these patches of, of powdery mildew or you see fungal growths on tree trunks that really look like, I don't know, something out of a horror film. So, but the biggest reason for me that I love to hand water is because I am a hundred percent true organic gardener. I don't use faux organic products or protocols, and I am only interested in growing a clean, safe, healthy, and true organic garden. From this point forward, I would like to give all of you a thought to take you across the bridge of a paradigm shift. None of you are growing plants anymore, okay? You're growing soil. And if you do that, I promise you, you will have amazingly healthy plants and a garden more vital than you could have ever imagined. Remember, good soil that is full of microbial diversity is living soil. You can feel all of that life in a nice handful of fresh soil when you scoop it out of the garden. Proper moisture retention for healthy soil is at about 30% moisture rate. This is what gives the soil that not dried out feeling or that muddy texture when you grab a handful and hold it into your hand. In fact, I've got a homework assignment for you guys. Sometime this week, go out in your garden, grab a handful of soil and hold it for five minutes or more in your hand. I want you to close your eyes and just concentrate on what's happening in your hand. Does it feel energized? Does it feel lifeless? Does it feel as dull as a seventh grade history lesson from good old Mr. Shields? He was a nice guy, but I got to tell you, dull. 
I slept a lot of mornings in seventh grade history. Boy, I caught up on a lot of sleep. There should be something going on there. If there isn't, then you need to be growing the biology in your soil. How do you do that? Binge listen to our past episodes, of course. These wonderful microbes are the builders of tilth in your soil. They also help create the structure of your soil, which is critical for proper moisture retention. And if it's not enough, remember, they break down the organic matter that give your plants the nutrients they need to survive. The microbes in your soil also help regulate the pH of your soil. Remember, if you want a healthy garden, you got to be growing microbes, not just plants. If you underwater, you're going to kill off microbes in your soil. If you overwater, then you are going to cause all kinds of problems like compaction. But even more importantly, you'll create pockets of anaerobic soil that pathogenic bacteria thrive in. And we'll get into that some other day. But it can harm the good bacteria that is growing in your good, healthy, clean, beautiful soil. Overwatering can cause a serious imbalance of the overall soil health of your garden. So to me, it comes down to this. It's really simple, you guys. The best course of action is to do, as I always say, if you take care of the microbes, they'll take care of you. And nothing can be a more true statement than how we gardeners, true organic gardeners, water in the garden. That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.